Greetings, uh, church and friends of the church. Uh, it is mid-March 2021. We are officially one year into this pandemic season. Um, it has been quite the long journey through the wilderness. And the wilderness is that metaphorical image we're hanging on to, this place that we find ourselves in where uh, we're not where we used to be. We've been thrust out from what we used to know as normal, and we're not really settled into a new normal yet, a new place of consistency. We're, we're still wandering on our way to something that's becoming. And in this series, we've sought to capitalize on this time constructively, um, as we're not monopolized by doing what we always used to do in all those same ways. Um, and, and we're not yet just in the rhythm of doing a new thing uh, such that we're, we've got our blinders on and we're just running that race. So we have time in the wilderness to look around, to look back, to look forward and to, to reflect carefully about how to create a, a future normal that is better and more just and more peaceful than the normal we used to know. So um, in the wilderness, we've looked deeply within seeking to better understand what it means that, that, that we live a physical life, that we are creatures that all evolved with these physical tendencies to, to fight, to assume negatively about others and to tribalize with those like us. Um, and we've also, uh, as we've looked uh, deep within, named the need for um, a spirituality, a different voice within us than, than what these physical voices tell us. They're, they're good sometimes, and they sometimes help to protect us, but they can also run away um, with our spirit and make us fearful and um, make us people who turn against one another instead of live together in peace. And so we need, we need to find a spiritual voice within us, whether that's uh, grounded in a particular religious practice or not, um, that tells us a different story about how we relate to one another. And, and how we live in this life together. So we've considered spiritual practices to help nurture that spiritual voice within that decision-making place within us, within that guiding and authoritative place within us that dictates actions and words. We've considered spiritual practices of prayer, meditation, mindfulness, gratitude, honesty, accountability, fasting, uh, feasting, and... Um, these are spiritual practices um, that no other physical creature can do. That's, this is what makes us set apart and unique as a creature. The fact that we can live spiritually and not just animalistically enslaved to our physical tendencies. So in the last episode, we introduced the ninth spiritual practice, the practice of simplifying, which we are considering across a number of different episodes because it has many layers to it. Simplifying is not just about objects and tasks and appointments or organizing, but about expectations. Simplifying is about intentionally adjusting expectations because the goal of simplifying is not actually just about feeling more efficient or less cluttered, about feeling um, more organized, but simplifying is about feeling less worry and fear. And that worry is directly linked to the expectations that we form around self and others and life in general. So we, we know we have evolved as a creature to be prone to worry. It's 
a self-defense mechanism that is there to keep us out of fights that we can't win, that keeps us away from the negative assumptions of those that we need to, to like us and stay connected to us, to keep us safe and keeps us in that place of belonging to our tribe so that we don't face the danger of being an outcast. You know, it's not just middle schoolers that have this thing inside of them that make them not want to feel like an outcast. It's something that we all have within us every last day of our life. Um, now the science, the brain science tells us that when we uh, physiological, physiologically experience something worrisome in our childhood, when a, a fear of worry is triggered, that um, our brain is very good when we are young at creating a, a, a new pathway through the brain to expedite a future physical reaction to the same kind of worry or fear or experience. So it's like making a tunnel through the mountain. Um, once you've done it the first time, it's, it's infinitely easier the next time to get through it. And, and that, that fear stimulus, that same worry for the rest of our life now has this highway through this tunnel and it's very easy uh, for us to get fearful. It gets easier to have expectations that are fearful. It gets easier to have assumptions of others and about life that are negative. And so in order to simplify, to experience less worry and fear, we have to retrain our brains. We have to create new pathways, new tunnels that lead to different places than to that instinctual automated response of fear and worry, which leads to the fighting and the assumptions and the tribalization. So in this episode, uh, we consider how to intentionally simplify our lives by retraining our brains to move beyond these deep-seated worries that have been planted within us by the forces of materialism. That's gonna be our focus in this one. So if we, when we were younger, we experienced a particular uh, materialistic worry, either in response to something our parents taught us or something a friend said or something we saw or heard on a commercial or something we saw on a TV show or a movie, we trained our brain to make it easier to have the same worry for the rest of our lives. It created that tunnel and that pathway. If we observed as a child or as an adolescent, uh, adolescence, which for men can be until the age of 30, if not a little later, um, if we observed that a larger home or, or a, a pristine lawn, a certain car, a particular wardrobe, new, new tech and gadgets, whatever, were what someone needed in order to have um, a life that was good or safe or happy, or uh, what we needed in order to fit in and to not be the outcast or the one that the neighbors talk about in secret. And we let that worry determine a set of expectations that would guide our emotions and our decisions for the rest of our lives then we are those whose brains were trained and predisposed to be burdened by the complexity and the expectations of materialism. Those tunnels were forged, those pathways were made long time ago. And maybe we feel the presence of materialism as it hangs over our heads and it lurks behind us. If we were laughed at as a child for the house we lived in or the clothes that we wore or the gadgets or the cars that we didn't have, those worries trained our brains to instinctively make the negative assumption about how others are perceiving us. 
because of our homes, our cars, our clothes, shoes, gadgets, lawns, whatever. And so we developed a set of expectations in order to avoid that. Now, the evidence of this dynamic, that worry and fear about having the right possessions to make us safe and happy and fit in, has shaped um, exhaustion and stress-inducing expectations of materialism. The, the evidence that this is true is astounding. You know, as Will Rogers famously said, too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't want to impress people they don't like. And we all do this. The average American owns between 30 and 40 different outfits, which is four to 500% more than a century ago and throws away about 65 pounds of clothing every year. The average American spends nearly $2,000 per year on clothing. And together, Americans spend more annually on shoes and jewelry and watches than on higher education. The average American home has more than 300,000 different items in it. Further, even though the average size of an American home has tripled in the last 50 years, that's still not enough room for all of our treasures. One in 10 Americans um, needs a uh, rented storage unit. And there are more than 50,000 storage facilities in America. That's more than five times the number of storage facilities than Starbucks. Americans give about $400 billion a year to charity, which is admirable. However, Americans also spend more than three times that much. $1.2 trillion on non-essential goods, stuff we don't need. Maybe you know what it's look like, what it, what it is like to look around your home or your storage locker unit, if you have one, and to think, where did all this come from? How did it even get to this point? Maybe you know what it's uh, like to look in your closet or your children's closet or your kids' toy rooms. You know, we need we need whole rooms for toys now, not just toy bins. Or to look at all the gadgets, you know, on your kitchen counters or on your nightstands or, or desks. Or to look at all the books or to look at everything that's hanging on the walls. Or to look at all these rarely opened boxes and bins in your basement or attic and to think, I am drowning in stuff but it isn't making me happy. I'm tired of the clutter. I'm tired of organizing. I'm tired of moving this stuff around. Maybe you know what it's like to walk up to your home or beside your car or to stare at your lawn and to think, these things were supposed to make life better, but they're just a burden. To actually respond to this complexity and burden in ways that bring true simplicity, the lessening of worry and fear, we have to know that it's not just a physical stuff problem. It's not just that we have too much stuff and the solution isn't just that we give stuff away or downsize our home, get a cheaper car so we have less financial anxiety or it's not just about promising ourselves that we won't jump to upgrade our phone or TV this time around it's not about hiring someone else to do the lawn for us. Because if we only respond physically, we haven't dealt with the root of the issue. Spiritual root. The expectations that we hold 
deep within our minds and spirits, these pathways in the brain that have been forged that tell us that possessions are our vehicle to happiness, our belonging, our safety. And that if we worry about these things, then we just have to buy the right things and that will alleviate the fear and the worry. If we don't name these lies that our worries uh, regarding possessions are telling us, we will still have those same expectations. And as soon as we get home from dropping off our truckload of stuff at Goodwill, we will just buy different stuff and we will still feel burdened. So first we have to deal with the spiritual root of the problem. And then we set ourselves up for a better and simpler daily living by resetting, by cleaning up the closets, the attics, the basements, the garages, by reducing the number of possessions that we have that we don't need uh, actually in order to live. But first we have to listen to a voice inside of us telling us who we really are, what we really ought to do, other than the voices of these physical tendencies, worrisome and fierce, fearful voices that tell us to choose materialism, to buy, to upscale, to upgrade, to impress, to hold on to things, even when we don't use or need them, voices that evolved in us in order to fit in and to avoid fights, to avoid being perceived negatively. So I find this spiritual voice that tells me a different story about who I am and, and what possessions are and what they mean in the, in the voice of Jesus. But as we've noted in this series, the golden rule spirituality that he brought to the world, the life of being driven not by self-serving out of fear, but by a, a commitment to do unto others what we would want them to do unto us, was and is not exclusive to Jesus. Our expectations that are formed in a materialist society predispose us to act in these worrisome and fearful self-serving ways. But the spiritual way of living by the golden rule encourages us to live and to act in ways that consider their potential positive and loving impact on others around us. We can retrain our brains to live in a different and a better way if we allow a different voice and spirit within us. So Jesus said, don't store up treasures that rust can destroy. And that, that word rust is, is the word for eating. So it can, it can be used to describe um, food being eaten, or uh, it can be used metaphorically or, or sometimes literally to describe metal being eaten by corrosion, wood being eat, eaten by decay. So we know it's tempting to store up for ourselves those things that rust and decay can destroy the cars, the homes, the goods, the gadgets, the toys, um, all of which corrode, decay, become irrelevant and discarded. And he then said, don't keep striving for what you are to eat or drink and don't keep worrying. Instead, strive for God's kingdom. His way of saying, the, of describing the, the divine social order of peace that's made possible by living according to the golden rule. He says, strive for that. And these other things will be given to you as well. Don't be afraid, he said. 
sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that don't wear out. An unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. Store up heavenly treasures was his invitation. And what does that mean? Well, it doesn't mean storing up brownie points or righteousness that, that earn us some sort of reward someday that others don't get. But it means storing up those things that are God's intentions for lives here that are good and beautiful and true. Lives that could be categorized as, you know, heavenly as they are also earthly. Store up as many loving relationships as possible. Store up an abundance of joy that can never be found in buying what we don't have, but is always found in being grateful for that which we already do have. Store up as much, as much peace as we are able to nurture among one another and the people of our communities. Store up member, mem memories of acting kindly and, and generously unto others out from empathy, compassion, and love for neighbor. And store up memories of others acting this way unto us. No one can steal these treasures from us. No moth or rust can eat them into oblivion. These are the treasures that last. Relationships built on love and mutual concern, gratitude, the memories of compassion offered to us freely. These are the treasures that make us truly and deeply feel glad and safe and as though we belong. You know, I'm at a point in my own journey where I lament all the time and energy and money that I wasted on materialism. And I just wanna spend my days knowing the love of my family and friends and using what I have to help and serve others in ways that I would want someone to help me if I were them. Not worrying about the size of my house or how my outfit will be perceived or about my car. And that's, that's always been the hardest one for me if I'm, if I'm honest, but uh, I'm, I'm in a good spot with that right now. Um, or worried about how my new, how new my phone or my TV is, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't want that life. I, I just, I want to focus on people. That's the good and the simple life. When we realize that, that these are the treasures of the highest value and we intentionally practice seeking them. And when we do, our brains and our expectations about life begin to change and adapt. We slowly shift away from the expectations of materialism, these false and exhausting expectations that stuff makes us happy and safe and belong. And we shift instead toward the, toward the expectations of relationality and community, living with the expectation that relationships of mutual concern and care are what truly make us happy and safe and belong. We learn to expect that seeking healthy and loving and compassionate relationships with family, with friends, with strangers across any aisle or bridge or divide is where we find the life that is the most meaningful and valuable, the most treasured. And when our expectations are reshaped and they're no longer materialistic expectations, but they're relational expectations, then our patterns, our actions and attitudes in life naturally change.
we naturally stop accumulating and spending to the same extent. We naturally start to let go of the stuff we used to cling to. And best of all, our fear and our worry and our exhaustion related to the the, uh, weight of materialism start to fade. And this is the best of all, because if we are less fearful and worried, then we are less prone to give in to those physical tendencies which cause us to hoard, to, to gather unto ourselves far more than we need, far more than our fair share, and to hold others away from resources by oppressing them and stacking the deck against them in ways that create this gap between the have too muches and the don't have enoughs. That's come because of systems that have been built upon materialistic expectations. It's a violation of the divine intention and natural order, which is supposed to be a world of peace in which all have enough to flourish. So many authors from many traditions have, in their own words, expressed the need for this reversal in expectations from materialistic to relational. And they all say something to this effect. We must remember to love people and to use things rather than loving things and using people. So whether it's Jesus or it's Muhammad who died humbly without a possession or a penny, or the voice of the Buddha, or the voice of the Dalai Lama, who when asked what surprised him most about humanity, supposedly answered, man, because he sacrifices his health in order to make money, then he sacrifices money to recuperate his health, and then he's so anxious about the future that he does not enjoy the present. The result being that he does not live in the present or the future. He lives as if he's never going to die, and then he dies having never really lived. We have to first find that voice, that spiritual voice that tells us a different story than materialism, that can guide us into new understandings about possessions and material goods, and guide us into new expectations for our relationship to them. And then, only then, after we've intentionally sought to change from the inside out, can we begin to practice simplifying physically in ways that become lasting. It's then that we can practice Marie Kondo's methods of organizing and letting go of things that don't spark joy. It's, it's only then that we can practice minimalism and, and start to remove the things from our lives in our, that are not essential to daily living. It's only then that we can practice giving of our resources for the sake of those who don't have enough instead of saving up for that next thing for ourselves that will just fail to deliver what materialism promised it would. It's only then we can lean into the golden rule and lead in, lean into our relationships as the true treasures that they are, rather than as places where we feel the weight of exhaustion, uh, of comparison and competition and measurement. We can be freed finally to love people rather than things. And in so doing, find the most treasured life of all. Jesus made the promise, come to me, come to my way of living, all you that are toiling and are heavy burdened, and I'll give you rest. Come to this way, who are carrying this exhaustion and this worry, this burden of expectations, and discover a more restful and healthy and powerful and a good life. Don't worry, it won't add a single day to your life. Instead, 
of worrying, sell your possessions, give alms, store up heavenly treasures, find your spiritual voice, then check out Marie Kondo or the minimalists who have a Netflix series or a podcast. Then, then check out Joshua Becker, who has done some great work um, bringing his Christian faith and minimal, minimalism into, into, uh, in, into cooperation. Then look for some kind of decluttering challenge that inspires you and talk with your friends and your family about what is really essential to life. But first, we have to find that voice. And then... Once we've found it, as even if it's just a small sentiment, um, this the, the the just the core teaching like we've considered of Jesus today, then with that do something, do something today now that puts you on your way to live a life that has those heavenly treasures as the goal and at its heart. Start small, give one thing away, throw one thing out, let go of one thing you have a sentimental attached to attachment to, but you never need or use. Sort through one room, make one donation you would have otherwise spent on yourself. And then tomorrow, take another step. And then the next day, another, and then another. And as you do, your mind and your expectations will adapt and change for the better. Materialism is exhausting. It is burdensome. It is life-stealing. It is an oppressive and destructive force. Don't let it steal your life away. Don't let it continue to do harm to the poor. Use things. Love people. And you will find a more joyful life. Stay home. Stay safe. Continue to wear a mask. Uh, not all of us are vaccinated yet. Be well. Be warm. And peace to all.